Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Today is Thursday, December 26, 2019. On this day in 1976, police in Oakland County, Michigan, received a tip about a body lying on the side of the road. Upon investigation, they identified it as 12-year-old Jill Robinson. Jill would come to be known as the second victim in the mysterious case of the Oakland County child killer. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the discovery of 12-year-old Jill Robinson's body, the second murder linked to the Oakland County child killer. Let's go back to Michigan on the morning of December 26, 1976. The snow fell noiselessly outside the Troy Police Station in Oakland County, Michigan. It was 8.45 a.m. on a slow Sunday morning. The officers reclined at their desks, barely minding the low hum of the radio, which conveyed occasional chit-chat from motorists on the nearby interstate. Suddenly, a driver's voice cut through the static. He was on I-75 North, near Big Beaver Road, and he'd seen a body, or at least he thought he had seen one. It was lying at the side of the road. The policemen, startled, wasted no time hurrying into their coats and heading outside. They didn't have far to go. Laying in plain sight of the department, between the I-75 pavement and an empty, snow-covered field, was the lifeless body of a small girl. She rested neatly on her back, dressed in clean clothes, and dusted with the morning snowfall. A fresh shotgun wound pierced her jaw. The girl had short brown hair with bangs and freckles. On her back, she wore a knapsack with various overnight items, including a blanket, underwear, and toiletries. There were no signs of sexual assault or struggle. A dental examination the next day confirmed that both body and backpack belonged to 12-year-old Jill Robinson from the neighboring town of Royal Oak, Michigan. She had gone missing four days earlier on the 22nd. It was dinner time on Wednesday, December 22nd, when 35-year-old Carol Robinson wrestled her bags through the front door of her home in Royal Oak. She'd been out Christmas shopping for her three daughters, ages six, nine, and 12. Setting her bags down, Carol called for her oldest daughter, Jill, to help make biscuits. She was in a rush to get dinner on the table so they could attend an evening service at their church. As 12-year-old Jill rounded the corner, 
Carol spied a familiar look of annoyance on her daughter's freckled face. Carol would later conclude that the source of the expression was disappointment. Jill was close to her father, Tom, Carol's ex-husband. On Wednesdays, Tom typically drove 15 minutes from his home in Birmingham to spend the evening with his three daughters. But this particular Wednesday, he couldn't make it. This probably upset Jill, who looked forward to his weekly visit. But tonight, Carol didn't have the time or patience to get to the bottom of Jill's bad mood. After a brief spat, Carol told her daughter to get out. She figured Jill would go cool off on the family's front porch. But as Carol finished making dinner, she noticed that Jill had not reappeared. Frustrated, she went out to the porch to look for her. It was empty. She then searched inside and around the property, but Jill was nowhere to be found. Still, Carol was unfazed. Jill had probably gone over to Tom's house. If her dad wouldn't visit her, she'd visit him. Carol drove there to search for Jill, but found no sign of her missing daughter. At 11.30 p.m., Jill's father, Tom, filed a missing persons report with the Oakland County Sheriff's Department. Unfortunately, the department received hundreds of these reports every year, and Jill's case was easily dismissed as yet another runaway child who would show up in the next 48 hours. But the following day, Jill's bicycle was found on Main Street, located on the stretch between her parents' houses. A friend also reported seeing Jill riding down Main Street around 7.30 p.m. on the night of her disappearance. On Christmas Day, the press picked up the story. It had a sensational angle. The girl who didn't come home for Christmas. Jill's picture was even shown on television. But Carol Robinson would receive no more news about her missing daughter until the next day when Jill's body was found. Coming up, Oakland County Police realize Jill's murder is not an isolated killing. Now, back to the story. Around 8.45 a.m. on December 26, 1976, the Troy Police Department in Oakland County, Michigan, received a tip about a body lying at the side of the road. Upon investigation, they identified her as 12-year-old Jill Robinson, who had gone missing four days earlier. She had been shot in the head. The coroner's office concluded that Jill had probably died from a combination of shock and blood hemorrhage from the blast, which was taken at close range by a 12-gauge shotgun between 3 and 6 a.m., mere hours before her discovery. Aside from the blood, Jill's clothes and hair appeared to have been cleaned in the days since her disappearance. She also showed evidence of having eaten well. It was a strange assortment of facts. Who would kidnap a child and take scrupulous care of them, only to leave them dead at the side of the road? Investigators did not make the connection at the time, but these odd details were eerily similar to another case from earlier that year. On the afternoon of February 15, 1976, 
12-year-old Mark Stebbins left Ferndale's American Legion Hall in Oakland County. He was walking home, but he never showed up. And by 11 p.m., Mark's mother reported her son missing. Four days later, Mark's body was discovered in a Southfield parking lot. He had been smothered to death and bore signs of sexual assault and wrist binding, unlike Jill. But just like Jill, his body was fastidiously clean, fully clothed, and he seemed to have been eating well during his disappearance. Investigators deduced that the murderer had dropped off Mark's body at the parking lot around 9.30 a.m., just hours before he was found. Because of the difference between Jill's and Mark's causes of death and Mark's sexual assault, investigators didn't connect the two cases. It was not until 10-year-old Christine Mihalik went missing, less than a week after Jill's body was found, that a pattern emerged. Christine left her home in Berkeley the evening of January 2nd, 1977, to visit her local 7-Eleven. She never came home. 19 days later, her body was discovered in a snow-filled ditch. She too had been well-fed, washed and dressed in her own newly cleaned clothes. Similar to Jill, Christine bore no signs of sexual assault, but like Mark, she had died from smothering. The discrepancy between Jill's gunshot and the smothering of the other two victims held a sickening significance for Jill's mother, Carol. In the months prior to her death, Jill had disclosed a terrifying premonition. She was traumatized by the idea that someone was going to shoot and kill her, so much so that Carol had taken her to a child psychologist, but the terror continued to haunt Jill. Carol could only assume Jill had revealed this nightmare to her captor, who then made a special exception in their modus operandi. Still others, including retired detective Jack Kalbfleisch, had a different theory for the discrepancy. He maintains that Jill might have indeed been asphyxiated. Then, when her killer laid her body in the snow, the air still trapped in her lungs expelled, causing a moaning sound. The killer would have shot her to be certain she was dead. Either way, following Christine Mihalik's murder, authorities began to lump the three cases together. The Oakland County Child Killer became the title of an unknown villain whose fetish included kidnapping solitary children, grooming and feeding them before discarding their dead bodies near roadways in the early morning hours. Realizing they were dealing with a serial killer, the Michigan State Police organized a task force led by Lieutenant Robert H. Robertson. They began sorting through various known pedophiles in Oakland County, hoping to apprehend the murderer before his next kill. Investigators were still grasping for a lead when 11-year-old Timothy King went missing from Birmingham in Oakland County on March 16th. His body was discovered eight days later, just off the road in the nearby town of Livonia. He had been dead since 2 a.m. 
Similar to Mark, Timothy was sexually assaulted, and his wrists showed lacerations from binding. And like all three of the previous victims, he had been neatly groomed and fed well. An autopsy concluded that he had been smothered. It was the fourth and last murder linked to the Oakland County child killer. Over the next months, around 200 detectives continued to work on the case. They investigated over 15,800 tips and profiled thousands of Detroit area pedophiles. But after two years and $2 million in expenditures, the task force for the Oakland County child killer was forced to come to a close. To this day, the killer walks free. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you're interested in more stories like this one, check out our podcast, Serial Killers. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Allie Wicker, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime.